You guys can have a seat. I'd like to ask you if you could, um, love to create just kind of an, uh, a sacred space today. Um, so if you could take out your phone and, and put it on silent, please. And if you could, um, Instagram can wait for about 45 minutes if you guys could put that away. I, I really believe God has a word um, for us today that will really encourage and challenge us uh, for the season ahead. Um, so if you could limit your um, going you know, back and forth, that'd be amazing so people can um, really give their full focus and attention. If you're joining us online, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Um, no people are traveling all over today, so wherever you are at, um, we're glad that you're with us. And I uh, want to welcome our church campus in Oklahoma. Uh, welcome to you. Uh, we got to interact with uh, Trina Wright a lot this week, and she's going to be here uh, in a couple of weeks to, to bless and minister to us as well. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, summer is my favorite season, but it's also a season that seems just so, like, discombobulated. And I was uh, giving a, a hug to my friend Greg this morning. I don't think we've seen each other in a couple weeks. And just because summer, you know, summer just makes everybody go in different directions. And so I'm glad that you're here today. Glad that you were, uh, we were all able to be together. Um, we're going to talk about pirates here in a minute. Because that's, I know why we all came today, um, is to talk about pirates. But I do have a couple of brief announcements. Um, first of all, as we do um, these after parties we've been trying to do on Sunday evenings. And I say trying because we've had, like, it's hard to have after party when it's 117 degrees. Um, but we have one tonight. And I've had so many people ask, and it means I've done a bad job communicating. People think that the after party is for people who come to our 5 o'clock service. Um, that's, that's not the only case. The after party is just simply an excuse to get together and interact. There, there's really no organization to it. There's no agenda except for it's a party. And so if you come to our 10 o'clock service, if you watch us online locally, um, or if you want to invite friends and family and neighbors, it's just at 6.30. We just have an excuse to get together. Um, every week we'll have food that we will serve and sell for a very low cost. Uh, we have some activities that are just uh, organic. You can take place uh, you can participate in. Uh, we have a concert later this summer uh, coming up as well. Uh, but tonight we have um, uh, Sancho's Taco uh, Truck is going to be here. And so that is uh, for sale, and uh, we are just simply supporting a local business. So if you can come out, have dinner with us tonight at 6.30. Again, there's, there's no agenda. It's just a great opportunity to connect because during COVID, connecting was a very hard thing to do. So that's tonight at 6.30. Um, last announcement I will give is that um, coming up in September... Uh, we have a work day, and I, I actually didn't look at the calendar, but it's September, oh, the 18th. So Saturday, September the 18th. It might seem like it's a long ways away, uh, but it's not. Um, we have a lot of stuff to do around our, our campus here. Um, most of you know, some of you don't. We have, we have some offices downtown that need some work as well. And so we really want to prepare not just our hearts, but prepare our facilities and our grounds for fall, because fall is kind of like when church year starts. And so if you could um, just be praying about how you can help on September the 18th, um, later on this afternoon, we will have a sign-up for our workday on our app, and you can just go onto registrations under app and then register to uh, serve at our workday. And you might think, well, there's nothing I can do. We'll find something for everyone to do. We just ask that you don't bring small kids. And uh, if you have, like, extra rakes or shovels or... Uh, leaf blowers or especially pressure washers, um, bring, bring that stuff. If you have a tool belt just to look cool, bring that too. Uh, sometimes I feel cool just by wearing work gloves. I feel like Batman. And so if you want to bring some work gloves or a tool belt, if that makes you feel like more, uh, more of a, I was going to say more of a man, but if that makes you feel more of an industrious woman or an industrious man, then bring it. Bring the gloves and the tool belt. Um, we're we're going to need a lot of help. And I know it seems premature to mention it, but I really would like you all, you all to be here. Okay, pirates. Um, pirates are an interesting thing because we, we grow up hearing kind of the, these fantasy uh, tales and lore of pirates, and we almost you know, romanticize them and make them like heroes, but they were, they were actually really horrible people. I mean, they, they devoted their life to, to, to the worst of the worst things. But yet, like somehow our culture has this obsession with pirates for some reason. And the, the reason I wanted to bring up pirates is because uh, I, I just wanted to give a moment to recognize one of the greatest 
rides ever built um, in the history of humanity, and it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Raise your hand real high if you've ever been on Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. If you haven't, um, you need to do it before you die. It's, it's, it's really important, actually. Like, you have not fully experienced life if you've not been on Pirates of the Caribbean. And if you've been on the Pirates of the Caribbean, whether it's in Disneyland or Walt Disney World, or if you're really blessed to go overseas and go on a version there, Pirates of the Caribbean has a very special smell about the ride, actually. And, and anybody that's going, because <laughs> they know it has a very unique smell. And uh, there, it's very, you can actually buy candles um, that smell like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And you say, Pastor, what does it smell like? And I don't, it's hard to describe, but have you ever had like a really old washing machine? that it still works after like 40 years and um, just kind of like this stale water smell that, that is horrible yet refreshing at the same time. That, that is similar to the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's just, it's a magical ride. So we, we really romanticize pirates and what really ruined Pirates of the Caribbean was, was the movies. Um, and I know, yeah, I know, it's a, shots fired. Um, the, the first movie was okay, but I, I really, really don't like Jack Sparrow. Does that make me a heretic? No, he's gross. Um, if you want a smelly man, just disgusting, then yeah, Jack Sparrow is not your guy. But he really, he is. So um, think about pirates. And there's a scene, in, in a scene, a scene, a, a point in the ride of Pirates of the Caribbean where, where you are going through a, a burning pirate town, where, where the town is on fire. And then you're going uh, in another part of the ride where there is a battle between ships, and it's implied that some of the ships are, are catching on fire. So you're, you're going through fire. And, and when, I, when I think about pirates, not only do I think about this, this beautiful, musty water smell and, and get disgusted by Jack Sparrow, but, but I also think of, of, of ships on fire. I think uh, of, of things burning and I, I want to speak to you today on uh, the topic, burn the ships. And we're going we're gonna to be that church here for a minute. So if you could turn to your neighbor, you've ever been to that church before. You can turn to your neighbor and tell them, burn the ships. So do that now. Just turn to your neighbor. I don't care how embarrassed you are. Tell them, burn the ships. Pronounce the P very carefully. Burn the ships. Burn, burn the ships. That's what we're going to talk about uh, today. And so we're in this series called Eli, and we're looking at the life of Elijah and Elisha from 1st and 2nd Kings, a story that takes place about 2,800 years ago in the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, pretty soon before it was uh, attacked and scattered by the Assyrians um, who would attack them around 750 B.C., I'll give you a quick recap of, of this uh, story of Elijah so far. Uh, Elijah, a prophet, confronts the king of Israel, Ahab, for institutionalized Baal worship. Baal was a, a false, evil god. I believe actually a, a real spiritual evil entity uh, that Israel worshipped, and people would sacrifice their children. Um, this is how wretched uh, the worship to Baal was. They would sacrifice their children to Baal. And so uh, God, through the prophet Elijah, declares a drought over the land as a form of judgment. And when Elijah confronts Ahab, God protects and provides for Elijah uh, by sending Elijah into the wilderness and then to the home of a widow where he would be taken care of and provided for. So after three years of being on the run, uh, God sends Elijah to confront King Ahab again. And there's a showdown between Ahab and his prophets of Baal, and between them and Elijah and God. And just so we're on the same page, um, God actually has a name in the Bible. The, the Hebrew name for God is actually Yahweh. And so this is a, a confrontation between Yahweh and Baal and Baal's prophets and Yahweh's prophet Elijah. So uh, Yahweh, the God of all creation, the God we serve, the God of Christianity and scripture, wins as Elijah calls down fire to consume his offering. And when this happens, all of Israel confesses. They all say, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And so Elijah instructs 
all of Israel who witnesses this battle between the two prophets instructs them to slaughter the prophets of Baal. And and hundreds of prophets of Baal and Asherah are slaughtered um, down at a creek uh, below Mount Carmel. And so after uh, three-plus years of drought, God sends the rain back again. And so following this climactic event, Elijah and King Ahab, they both rush back to the town of Jezreel, where Ahab's wife Jezebel calls for Elijah's execution. And this is where we left off uh, with Pastor Ladina Doherty last uh, two weeks ago talked about this, where Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, calls for Elijah's death, and Elijah is dismayed and shocked and depressed, and he runs away to hide. And while he's in hiding and in depression, God meets him, and God reveals himself to Elijah in a still, small, what, voice or whisper, and reminds him again and again. God always is reminding Elijah he's not alone. So this is where Ladina finished this message two weeks ago, very crucial for today. God instructs Elijah there on the mountain, very far away from civilization, instructs him to go and anoint a man named Hazael to be the king over the northern nation of Syria, tells Elijah to go and anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel who would take over for Ahab, and then tells him to do something strange, tells him to appoint Elisha, a young man by the name of Elisha, to be a prophet in Elijah's place. And that's why we're calling this series Eli, because their names are Elijah and Elisha. We'll look at what those names mean in a second. And so, kind of bridging these two messages today, what's actually happening here is God is telling Elijah that ultimate victory over Baal is going to come through a change in kings, a change in politics, a change in the kingdoms around Israel, and even through a change in prophets. And so, Elijah's name means the Lord, he is God, or it literally means Yahweh is God. That's what Elijah's name means. Means And if you look back at the story we just went through two weeks ago, or uh, three weeks ago now, actually, what does all of Israel say when God consumes the offering? They actually are in a weird way saying Elijah's name. They're saying, God, he is God. Yahweh is God. The Lord, he is God. They're actually declaring Elijah's name. But Elisha's name actually means God saves. And so Elijah is going to bring people back to at least acknowledging that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, is God. But Elisha is going to continue God's theme of salvation, which ultimately won't be realized for another 800 years. So today we pick up the story, and Elijah leaves the mountain that he had fled to. And he's going to, or at least he's called to prepare a way for new kings and new prophets. But if you read through the story, um, between this week's message and next week's message, I'd encourage you to read through 1st and 2nd Kings because there's like six chapters we're kind of going to skip over because all of this um, change in in rulers of Israel is going to kind of start to take place over the next couple of chapters. But as you read through all of First and Second Kings, you realize that Elijah never actually goes to anoint Hazael to be the king of Syria. He never goes to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. God tells him to do it, and as far as we know, he doesn't do it. Um, we don't know how that happens, but we'll, if you read the story, Elisha actually kind of has to step in later and do what Elijah didn't do. But today we're just looking at a few verses And in these few verses, um, we do get a brief introduction to the man Elisha. Because Elijah does not anoint Hazael or Jehu, but he is going to anoint Elisha. And as you read this story, it it almost comes across to me, and and I don't know for certain, but it's almost like he anoints him on accident. It it almost looks like he, he didn't plan on it, but this was so important to God to appoint Elisha in Elijah's place that they do have this connection. Though he did not connect with future kings in the way God called him to, he did connect with a future protege, Elisha. And so as he's about to leave the mountain, he's going down. We don't see him interact with the kings, but he happens upon this man, Elisha. And if you actually remember, 
weeks ago, we started this series uh, with a look at Elisha. We started this story at the end of the story when Elisha is already dead. And if you remember the story, Elisha is so dead. how, How dead is he? He's so dead that he's just bones in a grave. And there's a battle that takes place, and to avoid being overtaken, someone throws a dead body into Elisha's grave where his skeleton is scattered below. And when their body, their dead body, the corpse touches the bones of Elisha, the body springs forth into life. This is how strong the anointing of God was on the life of Elisha, that even his dead bones would bring about resurrection to those who came into proximity with him. And this is, this is not without precedence in Scripture. People like Peter, their shadows actually healed people when they came into proximity of them. And so this, this brings us to this interaction between Elijah and Elisha. But let's go back to pirates for a minute, because that's why you're here today pirates. I want to talk to you, as I said before, I want to talk to you about this subject today, burn the ships. And before we look at Elisha, uh, I want to point out a historical account that took place uh, almost exactly 500 years ago. I'm going to talk about, for just a brief moment, um, the Spanish conquering of of Mexico. And and as I tell this story, I, I want to tell it very um, clearly that I'm not saying that it was good that Spain conquered um, the native populations in Mexico. I'm not saying that colonization of Mexico was was good or righteous. I'm just talking about history. I'm just talking about facts. And so I know that these things are sensitive today, um, but we're going to talk for a minute about the Spanish conquering uh, of Mexico. And so there was an infamous conquistador from Spain by the name of uh, Hernan Cortes. And Cortes was an early settler um, to Cuba. And so Spain had settled in Cuba, and a proxy king was set in place under the Spanish kingdom to rule in Cuba. And those in power in Cuba for Spain wanted to go and explore the Gulf Shores of Mexico, beautiful place if you've been before. And uh, this Hernan Cortez, this, this Spanish conquistador, he is sent by the ruler of Cuba to go and explore the shores of Mexico. And so he takes 11 ships from Cuba into the Gulf of Mexico along the coast. And he decides while he is there that he does not just want to explore Mexico, he actually wants to conquer it himself for Spain. And the reason he wants to conquer it is because there are rumors that there is an abundance of gold in Mexico, and so he wants to conquer this. Uh, He wants to grow in power and riches, and then he wants to, oddly enough, continue to send taxes back to Spain. So he actually cares about Spain. He cares about the kingdom, but he doesn't want the king of Cuba to take the credit for it, and so he wants to do it himself. And so he decides to conquer Mexico. And so in the year 1519... With a force of 600 men and those 11 ships, uh, Cortez sets out uh, to conquer Mexico. And he lands on the Yucatan Peninsula. But when he gets there and he tells his 600 men that they are about to conquer what was at the time a very large and dangerous empire of natives who lived in Mexico, some of his crew began to become a little bit uneasy with the prospect of taking over, and they didn't want to die. They're like, whoa, this is a very powerful um, civilization here with tens and tens and tens of thousands of warriors, um, some of them literally sacrificing thousands of people on the Temple of the Sun in Mexico. This was not a people to mess with. And so they began to be fearful. Some of them did not want to betray the king that was reigning in Cuba um, and so there was almost a mutiny on Cortez's hands of like, well, we don't really know if we want to do this. And so what do you do if you are Cortez and you want to make sure that your crew is all in? Well, he burned the ships. There were 11 ships. And he commanded his men who were loyal to him to burn 10 out of the 11 of their ships. So there would be no going back. 
There could be no escape. There could be no going back to Cuba. There could be no going back to Spain. Now failure literally was not even close to being an option. And so if you had to put some sort of a a phrase to what they were doing, this was literally like conquer or die. We conquer Mexico or we die. This was 100% commitment to the conquest. And to be committed to the conquest, it wasn't an option. It was the only way. This was a mandatory charge from Cortez because they had no way to escape it. And and, and I, I like this phrase here. For Cortez and his men, after they burned their ships, forward was the only way. And if you want to hold on to something today, let it be that. Forward is the only way. Don't go back. Sometimes you need to burn your ships so you eliminate failure from your vocabulary. So Cortez's plan worked. He conquered Mexico on behalf of Spain. He burned the ships. Now, this was not a new strategy. Um, I was looking throughout history, different times where this same um, element was used, and it was used multiple times for at least 2,000 years of recorded history. Um, various civilizations throughout Earth's history have done similar things where they, they burnt ships so there would be no going back. And it's actually where we get the phrase that someone burned their bridges. You, you burning a bridge means you can't go back, and it's become kind of a, a negative phrase. It means like someone blew out the relationships in their family so bad that they couldn't cross back over to be with their family again, where burning the ships is kind of positive. Burning the bridges is, is the negative connotation of this. There's, there's no way home. Another way to look at this, and, and some people believe it's actually where the phrase came from, not with Cortez, but through similar events throughout history, you basically create a point of no return. So I like, um, well, actually, this is a, a, a radical overstatement, but I'll say it. I like painting rooms and houses. I really regret saying that because I actually don't. Um, What I like is I like what a new color on a wall looks like. I don't like painting. In fact, I hate painting so much. One time, my wife and my children witnessed I had this this long um, jerry-rigged pole that I made to to paint a real tall, uh, high ceiling in in a condo that we lived in. And the, the edger, I was trying to edge the the top of the wall, and the edger fell off of my ingenious stick, and it's like, psh, landed on a shirt that I was trying to keep clean. And I got so mad, I just grabbed it and went, <laughs> I was like, why would I do that? Like, I'm so mad, I'm just going to make the paint worse. But I felt better afterwards. It was good. <laughs> Taught my kids a lesson that day. Um, where was I going? <laughs> oh, I know. I know now. Okay. So whenever we've, whenever we've had an, gotten to a new house or um, some of our church staff knows we've gone to, like, change space in, in our church, um, I'll, I'll go and I will, I will get a, a can of paint and I'll go pick out a paint and I'll just be like, and I'll paint a wall and I'll just leave it. And I'm like, why the heck did you do that? Like, that's insurance. That, that makes sure that that wall gets painted and we don't allow ourselves to become used to the color we don't like. So if we paint that, this is now our only choice. we got to finish. So you create a point of no return. I need some help painting in the next couple weeks, by the way. That's the real segue. Okay. So burn the ships. Why on earth is this relevant at all to Elijah and Elisha? So let's read these few verses, 1 Kings 19, 19. It says, Elijah departed from the mountain and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And remember, we, he does not go and find the two replacement kings. A um, couple questions I have when I read the Bible. Did Elijah know Elisha before? We don't know. I, I have a slight suspicion, and I could find no, no evidence of this in Scripture. Um, maybe, possibly, Elijah's servant uh, back on Mark, Mount Carmel was uh, Elisha. But we, have, we have no evidence of that, but I just that's a question I had. Like, are they the same person? Um, other question I have is, does he liberally go to Elisha, or is it just coincidence that he interacts with him? It's not coincidence to God, but it would have been to Elijah. Those are questions I have. So 1 Kings 19, 19b says, Elisha, remember, Elisha is the protege. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. 
and he was with the, the 12th yoke. Now, you might say, like, okay, um, cows and plows, right? Like, cows and plows. That's your next T-shirt, cows and plows. And you got to understand, cows and plows are big money. This is like cows and plows equal, like, combine, equal, like, John Deere tractor. This is, this is a wealthy farm operation, 12 yokes filled probably with 24 ox. And so the next part of verse 19, it says, Elijah passed by Elisha and cast his cloak on him. Now, um, this is why I wanted to call this series Original Jedi. It just the idea of a cloak is weird, but it's just how people dressed in. It was not like a prophet thing. It was just like a clothes thing. It was like a coat. So he cast his cloak on Elisha. Now, what this is, this is a blessing. This is a sign of Elisha taking on the mantle of Elijah. Basically, it was like Elijah saying to Elisha, you will one day walk in my anointing. This was Elijah saying to Elisha, come and be like me. Now, it's interesting to me, again, when I read the Bible, I ask myself a lot of questions. One of the questions I ask is, Eli- does Elisha know this is what this means? Like, is there, is there precedence of this other places? And the Bible doesn't say, but it's clear that Elisha knows what it means. So in verse number 20, it says, Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Now, if you've ever read the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus calls people to follow him, and sometimes people say things like, let me go and take care of this thing back at home first, and Jesus is like, no, you can. If you want to follow me, you follow me now. And so you read this with the same lens, and you get the wrong idea. This was not Elisha saying, I've got to take care of business before I'm willing to go about God's will for my life. This is actually Elisha saying, I'm in. I'm down. I'm good to go. I'm going to grab my stuff and say goodbye. And so what Elijah says in verse 20 is this, go back again, for what have I done to you? Now, this is one of these weird sentences where, again, this is written in Hebrew, and when you translate this to a literal English sentence, it just doesn't make sense. It almost, again, looks like Elijah is mad, like, what have I done to you? Just go, get out of here. You're not willing to follow me. But but if you look at this, I did some research, and what Elijah is actually saying is, go ahead, I'll be waiting. Okay, go, come back, I'll be here. What he's saying is, I've done what I needed to do. I put my cloak on you. And so you go and you tell mom and dad goodbye, you grab your stuff, and let's get on the road. So this is a positive interaction. It's not a negative one. Verse 21. It says, Elisha returned from following Elijah, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen. And he gave it to the people. These are probably farm workers. He gave it to the people, and they ate. Then Elisha arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Twelve yokes of oxen, probably 24 ox. Lots and lots of money. This would be like 12 expensive tractors. And it says, and I love how whoever writes 1 Kings as the Spirit is leading them, it says that he burns the yokes for, he takes the yokes off the ox because it's wood. Elijah, Elijah, this is worth a lot of money in, in 2021, this wood is. Be careful. So he takes this wood and he burns the wood and the fire from the wood. He then slaughters these ox and sacrifices the ox to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And one thing that we often miss in the Old Testament is that oftentimes um, sacrifice and barbecue are synonymous with the same thing. So you're sacrificing to the Lord, you're, you're giving up of this thing, but then you're, you're giving to others, and so they're not allowing this to go to waste. They eat the ox there 
that day, this is probably one of the better meals these people have ever had because you don't cook ox. They're too expensive. So this is actually a, a delicacy. What did Elisha just do? Yeah, he burnt his bridge. What did he do? He burned the ship. What did he do? He created a point of no return. For Elisha, failure was now no longer an option. Elisha had a 100% commitment to the mission. It was mandatory. He had no other choice. Elisha eliminated his backup plan. Elisha got rid of alternative options for his life. And here's this saying again. Forward was the only way to go. This is a kind of a funny side note. Like, I'm kind of ticked if I'm Elisha's mom and dad. Like, he burned his ships, but he kind of burnt theirs too. They, they've got, they, they can't plow anymore. You know, he might have not thought this through, but he burned the ships. He was willing to leave everything. He was willing, listen, he was willing to eliminate everything in order to follow everything God had for him. You have to be willing to eliminate everything in order to follow God into everything he has planned for your life. He burned his ships. If he changed his mind and went home, he would have nothing to go home to. This is why you hear stories of so many missionaries who say, uh, God told us, sell our house, sell our cars, sell all of our stuff, and leave. And the reason God calls us to do that kind of stuff, it's not because he doesn't want us to have stuff. It's that he doesn't want stuff to have us. He doesn't want stuff to call us back. And so Oftentimes what we do is we create backup plans for ourselves. We sign prenuptial agreements. If this doesn't work out, we still got the, the yoke and the oxen. See, when Jesus invited people to follow him, again, remember he said, follow me, follow me, follow me. And so many people came up with excuses and weren't willing to, build, to, to burn their ships. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell your stuff and give it to the poor. Because the moment that the rich young ruler realized that following Jesus was hard, he would have went back to what he had. And the guy couldn't do it. The Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had so many possessions. He could not burn his ships. Guys like Matthew burned their ships. Matthew walked away from his tax collector's booth. He might as well have burned it because there was literally no going back. He committed treason against the Roman Empire for leaving that tax collector's booth. And if he would have went back to it, it would have meant certain death. If you think about it, it actually took the resurrection of Jesus and the pursuit of Jesus on the life of guys like Peter. Because if you remember, Peter actually left a ship to follow Jesus, didn't he? Remember Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen? Jesus called them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It says that they left everything and they followed Jesus. So leaving everything meant leaving an expensive fishing boat. But you see, Jesus died on the cross. Peter betrayed him three times. Do you ever pay attention to what Peter did after the resurrection of Jesus? He actually literally went back to his ship. And Jesus had to go to him yet again and say, hey, I'm restoring you. I love you. Get back on mission. Come and follow me. And it wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus that Peter figuratively did burn his ship. And we have evidence of that as the flames of fire of the Holy Spirit descend upon Peter. And he preaches to tens of thousands of people to come to Jesus Christ. And they do. And from that point on, Peter never went back to fishing. His ship was so burned he was willing to be crucified upside down because that's what happened to him. Jesus pursued Peter and called him to a point of no return. Um, I have been in vocational ministry for almost 17 years. And over these last 17 years, I have a lot of well-meaning people ask me what my backup plan is. Um, 
what, Anthony, what will you fall back on if ministry doesn't work? What's your backup plan if, if this whole, like, giving your entire life to Jesus, if it doesn't work, what's your backup plan? What will you fall back on? And for some of you uh, diligent financial planners, this might hurt to hear, but I don't have one. I don't have a backup plan. Why would I fall back on something God has not called me to? Why would I leave a backup plan when forward is the only way? Um, Very, very common question. Uh, Pastor Anthony, what would you do if you weren't in ministry? And I would do just about anything I could to not be in ministry. But I'd be miserable. Backup plans. Things to fall back on fantasizing about what I would do if I wasn't this or that. Those are ships. I burned those ships a long time ago. So I can say for my ministry, I'm 100% committed. Failure is not an option for me. Forward is the only way to go. How about you? And this is not said with pride or arrogance. I prepared this message two weeks ago, and for the last two weeks, I wanted to give up a whole lot of times. And it took people like my wife talking me off those ledges, preventing me from getting back on the ship. So what's, what's your backup plan if serving Jesus doesn't work? What will you fall back on if, if this whole Christian thing doesn't work out for you? You see, my commitment to ministry is nothing compared to my commitment to Christ. My commitment to ministry should be nothing compared to your commitment to Christ. Any ship that could sail me back, any ship that could lead me far from Christ, any ship that could steer me in the wrong direction, I had to burn. And I have to burn daily. When Jesus called me to follow him, I had to leave everything behind. I had to follow him past my doubt. I had to follow him past my opinions. Let me say that again. I had to follow Jesus past my opinions. And I had to follow Jesus past my own feelings, because feelings are great at lying. And I had to trust that Jesus knows what's best for me. I had to realize that there was nowhere else I could go but to him. I had to recognize that there would be no true satisfaction, no true contentment, no true joy apart from Jesus. And daily, I have to, I had to burn the ships as they presented themselves to me. And ships will present themselves to you every single day, telling you, you could sail back, you could go back. It was easier where you came from. Commitment to this conquest commitment to this journey, it's my, it's my very life. Put it this way, you don't propose to your girlfriend and then ask her if you can keep your Tinder profile. You don't marry your fiancé and keep the numbers of all your exes and past hookups in your phone. You can't have a backup plan. You can't keep your options open. In true love, and true relationship, there are no backup plans. When you, and I'll use marriage, it is an example, but maybe it's something you need to hear today for your marriage. When you stand before your family and before God and you say, forsaking all others and keeping only unto him or her as long as you both shall live. There was a time in your history where you meant that. In true love and true relationship, you've got to burn all the ships. You've got to be 100% committed. You've got to see forward as the only way. You see, we're not talking about marriage, though. We're talking about your relationship with Christ, which is always compared to marriage in Scripture. Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants your trust. He wants your love. He wants your whole life. 
so that he can give you true life in return. We'll look at this scripture before we wrap up today. Matthew 16, 24. It says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Another way to look at this is Jesus saying, whatever ship you have that ties you back to your old life, burn it. Whatever options you've left open to resort to when you feel Jesus isn't enough, close the doors to those options. What Jesus is saying is, guys, you got to be all in. you got to be 100%. Whatever you lose to follow me won't compare to what you'll find when you follow me. You um, do what you can to eliminate distraction around you for a second. What ships do you need to burn? What ships do you need to burn? Remember, and in case that for some reason you've missed this analogy, burning a ship means you eliminate the ability to go back to where you came from. It means you eliminate the option of failing and you ensure that conquering and victory is the only option. Forward is the only option. Some of you need to burn the ship of constant partying. Some of you need to burn the ships of your hidden pornography addiction. Some of you need to burn the ships of looking for other people to justify your actions. I'm going to speak to that for a second because that's something I see weekly is people will come up to me and say, Pastor, what does Scripture say about this? What, what, is God's, what does God's Word say about this? What does this look like as a Christian? And I'll say, hey, I'm going to show you what God's Word says. And then, and then I'll hear of like 15 other people that those people go to looking for someone to justify their sin, hoping that someone gives them a different answer. A person can't tell you what you can or can't do. God already has. So quit looking for someone to give validation to something that God has already spoken as evil. Burn the ships of secret contact you have with people that aren't your spouse. Burn the ship of making excuses for your sins. Well, the reason I do this is because I... Burn the ship of, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Burn the ship of finding identity in your sin. Are you called to have a family? Well, I, I, I don't want to have children because if I have children, I might mess up with my children. Yeah, you're going to. I don't want to get married because if I do, I will still struggle with this or this or this. And what if I, and what if I this, and what Burn those what ifs. Burn that ship. Burn the ship. Maybe you're being called into a, a different form or a different commitment level of ministry, maybe even missions. Well, you need to burn the ship of financial security. You need to burn the ship of material possessions. You need to burn the ship of my college education will be wasted. I've heard that a lot. If I go into this ministry, then I gave six years of my life for nothing for your college education. No, you didn't. God had you there for a reason. Burn that ship and move forward. You need to burn the ship of my family won't support me. Most of the people who asked me what my backup plans were, what I would do if ministry didn't work out, were family. You got to burn the ship of family won't support me. You need to burn the ship of certainty. You need to burn the ship of failure. You need to burn the ship of keeping your options open. And some of you need to burn the ship of finding the perfect church. 
Well, I will serve when I find the perfect church. I will give when I find the perfect church. I will go into ministry once I find the perfect church to serve and ministry at. I want to tell you something. You're not going to find it. Far from it. That's just a ship that's keeping you from doing what God's called you to do. Jesus is calling. He's placed his cloak on your shoulders. He's placed his spirit on your life. Like Elisha, run after him. Like Elisha, burn your yoke and your oxen. Like Elisha, go and tell your mom and dad goodbye and follow. Here's something fascinating. There is no story of Elisha if Elisha didn't burn his ship. We wouldn't have the stories of Elisha who actually did double the miracles of Elijah. We would never have it unless that guy burned the ship so he couldn't go back to where he came from. You'll never step into who God is calling you to be unless you burn your ship. Never. It won't happen. It will not happen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes if you haven't already? Um, Casey's going to close us out in, in a song here in a second, but in a few minutes, I want to invite up um, I'm going to invite up our uh, assistant pastors, and if you're a ministry leader, I invite you up to pray for people today. Uh, In just a moment, as we sing this closing song, if God has put on your heart a ship that you need to burn, and you just need a a little bit of, of spirit empowerment, you need a little bit of courage, a little bit of support from a brother or sister in Christ, and mainly from God, once we start singing, I'd like you to come up to the front, come up to our altar here, and we just like to lay hands on you, pray for you. Um, ask that the Lord would lead you to burn that ship, that he'd give you the matches to do it. And here's what some of you will do. You'll be like, okay, Pastor Anthony is done speaking, we're going to start singing, and if I sneak out the doors, then I don't need to deal with this and let other people burn their ships. I'm not ready to burn mine. Don't do that, please. That's, that's disrespectful to those who are taking that step of faith today. Don't disrespect them. So, God, we, we ask your spirit to um, convict, to challenge, to encourage, to prompt. God, would you show us, um, would you show us which, which yoke and which oxen are actually they're actually pulling us in the wrong direction. And we actually need to to burn those yokes and sacrifice those ox so they can't keep pulling us away. Because where you're taking us is somewhere far greater than our yoke and oxen, that our careers, that our education could ever take. Here's something fascinating too, by the way. Elisha had zero clue what he was going to. Zero. None. He just burned the ship and followed. That's it. He had no clue where Elijah wanted to take him. And that's what it's going to be like for you, by the way. You say, I'll do it once God gives me a clear direction for my future. I'm all about vision. I'm all about trusting God and having God lead us into the future. But let me be the first to tell you, that's not how that works. Because if you're waiting for clear vision of where you're going you're still riding in that ship that's going in the opposite direction and God's saying, burn it, burn it and follow. So God, show us which uh, ship we need to burn. Show us which bridge needs to be burned so we can't cross back over to our old life. God, I, I 100% not just believe. I know that there are people here who are called to another level of ministry in regard to their time commitment, in regard to um, what they're doing, in regard to uh, stepping away from other things that are not fruitful. I 
I pray that they would be capable of burning the ship that holds them back. Let them trust in you. God, I know with certainty that there are some here today who are sailing on a ship of sinful living, yet declaring that they're following you, but their ship moving in the opposite direction is sending the exact opposite message. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that they would leap from that ship, burn it, and not leave going back to it as an option that's open. God, you're also showing me um, that there are people in relationships that they are not to be in. Relationships they are not to be in. And that that partner, that person they're in a relationship with, it, it represents a ship that they need to burn and they need to cut ties and they need to follow you and walk away from a relationship that they are not to be in, in Jesus' name. God, you're also showing to me that there, there are some relationships here that you've ordained that are good, that are, that are exactly what you want for those who are here, for those who are listening online, and they need to take a commitment. They need to make a sacrifice for one another. They need to walk towards, uh, towards marriage, God. And, and all sorts of past trauma and hurts and divorce and money and this and that are preventing them from taking that next step. God, in the name of Jesus today, we declare that that ship would be burned, that they could take the step that you're calling them to take. God, you're also showing me people who are finding their identity in their sin instead of finding their identity in you. Finding their identity in in what they want, what they desire, what they enjoy, what the world tells them their identity is. But Lord Jesus, you are declaring over their life that they are righteous, holy, forgiven in you, that their identity is not found any longer in their sin, in the way that the world tells them they need to live or be or be in relationship, but instead their identity is in you. And God, I speak against a spirit of confusion over our generation that tells them that they're someone that they are not. And Lord Jesus, I speak to what your word declares them to be. Loved, forgiven, free, washed, cleansed, a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come, filled with your spirit. So God, may any ship of evil or false or confused identity be burned so that we can walk in your identity, even if that seems unknown. In Jesus' name, would you stand?